one of the things that I love about this church is the fact that um, world missions and home missions is not just something that we, we do, it's who we are. Um, I, along with our, our board and our missions committee, have been astounded at the faithfulness of your giving, of not only of your faith promises, which for those of you that may be new, you don't know that once a year we, we have a missions convention where we pledge that we are going to, with the help of God, give money specifically to missions that's above and beyond our tithes and offerings. Uh, from that fund, we, it has grown enough where we have been able to not only add more missionaries that we support worldwide, but we've been able to give to special projects as well. And uh, thank you for being faithful to the Lord because I believe that the growth that we are seeing here corresponds with the faithfulness that we've been able to uh, demonstrate in the giving of supporting of our missionaries uh, full-time and part-time around the world. We have today one of the ladies that we supported on uh, some short-term medical missions that's going to be here, and I'm going to let her brother introduce her to you today because that will explain it all. <laughs> and she's going to share for just a few minutes about what one of her trips was like, and then I'll share the word with you this morning. Good morning. I always enjoy coming up here when we have missionaries to speak what God's doing. And I want to reiterate what the pastor said this morning. It has just been phenomenal, the faithful giving that we have gone in a few short years where when things come up, special needs come up, short-term trips that we're able to help. And uh, so I give to you my baby sister, Sue Hill Best. Thank you, Ron, and it's a joy to be here today to worship with you. Isn't it wonderful on a Sunday morning you have the choice to come to church or not? But what's wonderful and beautiful, you can walk through the doors, you can hear worship, you can hear your pastor preach whatever he says without persecution. And we should come every week and praise God for that because it's very real in the world. And pastors from all over the world needs to spread the word. And so I'm thankful this morning we can come into this building without persecution. So I've been a nurse for 31 years. In 2007, I had an email from Pastor Chris from my home church saying that um, our admissions team needed some school supplies going to Burkina Faso. Where's Burkina Faso? It's in West Africa. It's a landlocked um, country surrounded by six countries, Mali, Ivory Coast, to kind of give you an idea where it is. Um, It's a very poor country, and um, most students going through their schools drop out around the fifth grade. So their educational level is low. So I was reading this information about Burkina and some of the needs that were there, And um, I just cried. Tears poured out of my heart. Just, it wasn't even crying. Water was everywhere. My husband came over just, what is going on? What happened? And he was reading the email, and he says, you're going, aren't you? And how could God use me? I could never speak in front of people. I was very shy in school. Um, I would be the least that I would thought would go on a missions trip. But... 
from there, um, I continue to go on. God has used me in ways that I never dreamt of. Um, You learn a lot about yourself when you're on a missions trip. Um, You grow more than you think you've done um, assisting people. And so I've grown more deeper in God from going on these trips. And in all the good and rough times, I could feel your prayers. And so I thank you for your support. I thank you for your prayers because prayer is very powerful. And I thank you for that. So... You know, I've been over to Burkina Faso four times. I've been to the very remote areas. In fact, one of the remote areas, one of the mission missionaries at the mission house says, oh, you're going there? That's only where dogs go to die. Nobody goes there. Uh, they do have an Assembly of God um, Bible school up there, and so we went up there, and it was a very extreme trip on every level. But it was wonderful. The people were wonderful. And through the trips, we realized that pastors are chronically ill. Pastors are sick. They don't drink enough water. They don't have good nutrition. They're dying very young. And in the most remote place we went, probably life's, uh, your average life, you would live to maybe 30 or 32 years old. So many, many pastors have been called but their ministry is cut short because they don't drink enough water, they don't have nutrition. So we rethought how we're going to present our material when I was there. We did a lot, some clinics. Um, how are we going to teach pastors to take care of themselves, take care of their families, their congregations, so God's work can continue on? So there was four things we had assessed that was needed. They didn't drink enough water. So you're in the Sahel Desert, and it's 128 degrees, and they drink a half a cup of water in the morning and a half a cup at night, and that's it. Their bodies were chronically dehydrated. They couldn't move. They had all kinds of aches and pains, and they couldn't even preach on some of Sunday mornings. They didn't have enough uh, nutrition, so they had a tree called the Moringa tree, which grows very in very drought-ridden areas in third-world countries. The pastors didn't have the knowledge that you need to eat of this tree when there's no other food. It's the most nutritious tree in all of the world. So we taught a little bit about water, and we taught about the moringa tree. And so some places in the remote Burkina Faso has wells, but they were getting sick from the water from the wells. So we taught them how to purify the water by the sun. And there's four, four steps to that, and I'm going to be teaching your children that today. Um, and so if they can drink and they have water from wells and they're still getting sick, now they can have purified water, they can drink enough water, they can have nutrition. And then um, we noticed that they had some people coming through Burkina giving information about HIV-AIDS, which was not correct, and it's pretty rampant in Burkina. So we taught the pastors so they can teach their children early about HIV and biblical manners as far as sexual activity. And then we had a veteran missionary with us, Frank, and he um, taught about how to bring people in by caring, not to bring them in to preach them to death the first and second, but how to care about them 
bring them in the church and have a day of talking about water and food and their, and their basic physical needs in order for them to get healthy and the love of Jesus will shine through that. And then you can start talking about Jesus. And that has happened. So we've had a pastor, this pastor here, um, a few years ago, maybe three years ago, I was in Belonga Bible School. And he was a student at the time. He came to the clinic. He was severely dehydrated. He had what he called a sick stomach and many other ailments. And when I told him to drink how much water it recommended, um, he, I can't drink that. Um, So he came. Now he's a pastor. He came to the pastor's conference, and we did a train the trainer They sent two pastors from all 63 regions of Burkina Faso and um, to teach them about health so they can teach their congregations and go through all the regions to start having healthy people. And so these were all the pastors that we taught, and they can go into areas we can no longer go into because of safety concerns. So we know their lives, they'll have longevity so they can carry out what God has called them to do by simple basic needs. But the one pastor that was shown, he jumped up and down, jumped up and down. He said, listen to her. She knows what she's talking. I thought she was crazy for telling me to drink water, and I haven't been sick since. And that had been a couple years. So it's nice to hear feedback of your teaching, and I think it's more powerful that a pastor from Burkina are telling other pastors that um, he feels good. So that was great. And then one other um, area that I'm so thankful um, for this church, for our help um, donating a roof for the church. Um, This church is going to be put into an area where there are no Christian churches, Um, There is some persecution going on in this area, but um, Pastor Moise um, is building this church so to have a Christian church. He built a church three years ago, and it is is busting at the seams. And it was in an area that was all Muslim, or there were some animus or indigenous religions that poo-pooed the church and thought that Nothing's going to happen, and um, they're busting. So now they're currently building a new church, and the money that was donated from this church is for the roof. My heart is deeply overjoyed for that. Pastor Moise sends his many, many blessings to you. Um, He's tearful, and he he, um, sent me an email two days ago to say um, some what's going on with the church now. So when I was there... Three walls were up, and now the fourth wall's going up, and then the money that was donated would be for the roof. And so with health issues and um, the money for just material things that are needed, God's word can be passed on, and that's what's important. So missions, even though, thank you for being 4,000 miles away to help in that land. Mission starts at home, starts in your home, starts in your school. I remember when I'm growing up, my mom and dad, I'd even realize that they were preparing for missions, but they lived it in little things that they did for others. So um, I'm thankful for that. Thank you for this opportunity.
I'm drinking bottles of water as she's talking and see mine up here and things that we take for granted that we just don't fully understand. Uh, I'm thankful today to have a voice. As Thursday, I had no voice. I don't know what pollen it is that falls at this time of the year, but it's bad. And so uh, today, if I don't want you to think I'm lacking fervor. I just need wisdom in the delivery of the word today. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Revelation chapter 20. And as you're turning there, this is the seventh in a series for those of you that may be just joining us that we've been doing called the Beyond series. What happens after you die? What does the Bible tell us awaits us in eternity? Last week, we were talking about what the judgment will look like for believers, the judgment that will lead to reward. Today is a much less popular topic on the white throne judgment, what happens to those who will stand before God without a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me in reverence to the word as I read Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." Father God, as we approach your word today, I ask that we not be motivated by fear, but that today we would have a surety that we do not have to stand before a great white throne judgment, but that we can stand humbly before you today as a Savior and be spared this judgment. Oh God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would open up your word to us and motivate us to not only know you and be obedient, but to be missional in our lifestyle to tell others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What I just described to you is man's last day in God's court. This day of judgment, this tribunal, this court, this trial will not be like familiar trials held on earth. For those on trial this day will experience a very different kind of court. There will be no debate about guilt or innocence. There will be a prosecutor, but no defender. There will be an accuser, but no advocate. There will be an indictment, but no case for the charged. There will be a swift presentation of the convicting evidence, but no rebuttal. A testimony with no cross-examination. There will be an utterly unsympathetic judge and no jury. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. A punishment with no parole in a jail with no escape. And this 
is the last courtroom that will ever convene throughout all eternity. After this, no one will ever be tried again, and God will never act again as a judge. The scripture before us describes an event and its significance. It is where all unredeemed human beings will eventually arrive. All who have died in their sins, apart from the knowledge of God and apart from obedience to His Word, will be there from all human history. The world is filled with people who live as if they have no sin. They live as if God does not exist. They live as if they will never have to give an account or stand and be judged for the life that they live, and they live as if there is no God. These verses tell us about Judgment Day. And on that day, there will be nowhere to hide. There will be no excuses. There will be no question of ignorance or false professions of faith. Everyone will face Jesus Christ as Lord and will face Him as judge. And they will receive a just sentence for their sin. Today I want to spend just a few moments examining the facts known as the great white throne judgment that has been declared to us in His Word. There is a short outline available to you in your bulletin if you would like to follow along. But as I begin, I want you to know that there will not be one single individual with whom life started and a soul was assigned that will not stand in one judgment or another. They will either stand at the judgment we described last week as the judgment seat of Christ, as those who have been cleansed by Jesus' sacrifice, to stand as those who will be judged for reward, or those who have rejected Jesus Christ and His salvation will stand to be judged at this great white throne judgment. The first thing that I want us to notice in Scripture is the judge. Revelation 20, 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. I want you first to picture what this throne might look like. It's called great. The great white throne. It's great because it refers to the power that is represented in the aspect of this judgment. You see, there is no appeal to a higher court after this. There will be no place for one to turn for another rendered judgment after this. There is no higher court. It is the highest authority. It is the final judgment. It is the great throne. The only thing that we could even come close to comparing it to would be the Supreme Court. And even that is a shadow and authority compared to this great white throne. It is also called white because the contrast of the darkness of those who will stand as sinners before it will be in opposite comparison to the whiteness and purity that is represented in this white throne. This court 
has a judge that sits on it that is absolutely perfect. And the judgment rendered here will be perfectly fair and righteous. The judge who sits on this bench is infallible. He cannot be tainted by sin or prejudice. But he renders judgment in perfect righteousness and fairness. Not a single individual will ever cry out at the judgment of this seat that it is unfair because when their sentence is handed down, every sinner judged will know that they are receiving perfect judgment based on their life. Person on this throne. The Bible tells us in other passages who will occupy this throne. His name is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in John chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all, honor, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me on this judgment seat the one that we know as savior will then be known as sentencer on that day on this day those who stand before this great white throne will not see a Jesus who is a lonely and lowly Nazarene they will not see a Jesus who is a poor humble carpenter they will see a resurrected conqueror. They will see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His appearance will not be in a human form as we see today, but it is described for us in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, when he says, I looked on the thrones that were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing out from him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. And then look at this scene. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. His presence is so terrible and so powerful that the heavens and the earth fled from before him. 
because nature has the good sense to bow before so powerful a judge. The Bible tells us that this righteous judge sees all and he knows all. There is no sin that is hidden from him and no thought that has ever been concealed that will not be revealed. There will be no pretending and no pretense at this great judgment day, but only a sure accounting of every sinful deed and every sinful thought. As I was preparing myself, I began to think about the time and the effort that sinful man wastes in trying to conceal things that they don't want anybody else to ever know about them. The effort and the time that goes to keep hidden things secret. And the scripture declares that upon the, in, in front of 10,000 times 10,000 standing before the throne, the Lord our God, righteous judge, will bring forth publicly every sin that ever has been tried to be hidden, every discerning thought, everything that we ever wanted. Nobody to know if you stand in sin before God, it will all be revealed because the Bible tells us in Luke 8, 17 for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open nothing will be hidden let me tell you something my friend the difference between a great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ is that when we stand as those who have known Christ, our sins will be forgiven, will be sealed, cast as far as the east is from the west, and what is under the blood will never be brought forth in public because Christ will have healed it for us and we will stand as righteous before him. Those who have tried to sin and hide it and try to be somebody that they're not, it will be declared publicly in front of all of the universe because they ignored the power of a redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. You will not hide anything from this righteous judge. He will know all there is to know about you before you appear in his presence, and he will know it intimately. The justice that takes place there indicates that the defendants that will be appearing before the throne are those that are described to us as dead indicating that they never passed from death to life with Christ or having a relationship with Christ. They ignored obedience to the point where they wandered away from faith. But it proves that there will not be a single born-again believer in the group that stands at the great white throne. Those who have trusted Jesus as Savior, John 5.24 says we have passed from death to life. Oh, hallelujah. We've been given eternal, abundant life through the blood of the Lamb. This can only mean that in this mass of humanity that is standing before the white throne are every one of them spiritually dead. They include people whom God has raised from the dead and taken from the oceans, every particle of their being put back together so that their resurrected bodies will not look like the resurrected bodies of those who are resurrected to life. The Bible tells us that their souls will come from the earth and from Hades and that they will be reunited in a pitiful procession of anguish and hopelessness. And to show the breadth of it all, the scripture simply says this, the great and the small will appear. From somebodies and nobodies, 
Position will mean nothing. None is left out. The king and the pauper, the general and the foot soldier, the boss and the employee, the borrower and the lender will all stand before God. None will escape and none will hide, but all will face the righteous judge in judgment that day. There will be people standing there that never expected to be there because they proclaimed something that they did not live. There will be preachers and deacons and church members and popes and priests and nuns and choir members and drunks and prostitutes and drug addicts and pimps and pushers, grandmothers and grandfathers, teenagers, moms and dads will all stand with Cain and Judas and Alexander and Napoleon and Hitler and Stalin and every person who chose wickedness over righteousness before the throne to face their judgment and there will be no one that will escape and there will be no exceptions. John Phillips writes, this is a terrible fellowship there. The dead, the small, the great will stand before God. Dead souls united to dead bodies in a fellowship of horror and despair. No one, no one will escape And all that are arraigned on that day will be on their way to be damned. A horrible fellowship congregated for the first and the last time. And what are they doing? What position do they take? Verse 12 tells us that they are standing before the throne. Standing before the throne. There will be those whom you will have had conversations with, that will have looked you in the eye when you tried to express to them the joy of your relationship with Christ, that will have mocked you and told you that you were a fool for serving God, told you that you were a fool for believing God, told you that you have lived a life in fairy tale land because of your belief that will stand and see the one who saved your soul looking him in the eyes and standing in awe of his righteous power. The Savior will declare, will the prisoner please rise and approach the bench to be sentenced? There was a sermon that was proclaimed that has a statement in it that many of us have heard. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And that will be the scene. This horrible assembly stands trembling before the Lamb of God. And they are forced to look at the face of the one that they spit on. They're forced to look at the scars in his hands that he willingly outstretched for them. They will be able to see the place on his brow where the thorns pierced it. They'll see the awful things that he suffered to atone for their sin that they will have ignored because they thought their way in life was better than his. And they will see him as he is And they will shudder in fear. The Bible says that at this moment of justice that there are documents that are going to be available. It says that there will be books that will be opened. I have to imagine 
that the books that will be opened will be the book of motives, the book of activities, the books of deeds, the books of things done, the books of opportunities that every one of them were given because the Lord has said even creation cries out his name so no one will ever be able to stand before God and say they did not know. And every opportunity that they would have been given to change and make him savior while they were yet alive and yet had opportunity will be outlined before them and they will bow their head in shame as they recognize now there is no chance. The Bible will be opened. It tells us in John 12, 48, There is a judge for one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on that last day. Everyone who looked you in the eyes and said that you were believing a fairy tale of a book will be judged by those very words that we hold so dear and that are life-giving to us. This Bible that sinners mock that other religions displace and dismiss, that people refuse to heed, will render judgment upon their lives that day. And I declare to you, it is better to believe it now and go to heaven than reject it and face the judgment of God and go to hell. And then there's a last book that will be opened. After having gone through all of the deeds of one's life, the motivations of their heart, holding up and measuring their life to the word of God, a last book will be opened which is known to us as the book of life. And in that book is the, written the name of every individual who is a child of God that has passed from death into life. And by now, those individuals will know because they will have seen 10,000 people go through that at this judgment, no one's name is found there. But the book will be opened and Jesus will say, is their name found there? And the angel in charge of the book will cry out, no, my master, their name is not found here. And they will be cast into everlasting torment. It's worthy of note that every person will stand on their own, though in the middle of a crowd of perhaps millions and millions, they will stand alone and regardless of excuse used to justify not coming to Jesus today, that day you will stand in judgment by yourself if you ignore him today. It won't make any difference who hurt you. It won't make any difference who lived a life of hypocrisy before you that you have blamed on not coming to Christ. None of your excuses about what people have done to you in the name of Christ will matter then because the only thing that matters is what have you done with Jesus and what have you done with the salvation he provided for you. They will give an account for what they've done, but none of that will matter at this day. It will come down to you and Jesus. You and Jesus. And the judgment that is rendered on that day we find written in verses 14 and 15 of Revelation chapter 20. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The sentence rendered in that moment by the voice of the one who could have been their savior, but now becomes their sentencer, will be, depart from me. Depart from me, you who are cursed and are wicked. Those will be the last words anyone will ever hear uttered for eternity. We often talk about the book of life. We often talk about the joy that we have in worshiping a Savior because we know Him. But those who ignore so great a salvation will be faced with a situation where your death will not involve dying because there will be no end to your torment. There is no end to hell. There is no end to the awful nature of torment that you will be going through. It will be an an internal state of dying apart from the presence of God or anything good. That's what it means to be in second death. Not that you cease to exist, but you will cease to have anything good in your life again. Imagine the horror of standing before the one who could have been your king, who you could have bowed to in life, and have him say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Imagine living the life the way you wanted it. Imagine your life today. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. You live the way you want. You live without regard for God, without regard for his will. And then in that day, the Lord will have said, those were the best days you ever got while those who know me are about to enter into an eternity that's better than anything they could have ever imagined. So when the scripture says to you to choose you this day whom you will serve, there is some authority to that. And at the final judgment, there will be no appeals. Worship team, would you please come? All judgments rendered from this bench will be final and they will be binding. This will be the last day any sinners ever see. This will be the end of the road. They will forever be consigned to pain and agony in the lake of fire to suffer torment for eternity. I honestly believe that this is the most horrible scene that is described in Scripture. I think the concept of people perishing forever is beyond our ability to describe. However, today, you have opportunity. I knew that when we started this series that there would be a couple of messages where people might respond out of fear. And my prayer and the prayer of our staff and our board as we've been praying for this is that sometimes the door is open through fear that once you go through it, your relationship grows because of the love of Christ. I do not preach this to scare you, but I have to preach it because it's in the word and we must be aware. We must be aware 
my greatest fear is that somebody could come through my ministry and stand before God and be lost because they didn't know the whole truth. So today we are aware that there are two judgments, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. We're going to sing a course, and then I'm going to provide an opportunity for those of you who may not have known Jesus as Savior to be transformed today through a relationship with him.